welcome to another episode of Unauthorized Absence. We are on episode seven today, and what's going to be fun about today is that the person I'm interviewing is the second person I'm interviewing in the last 48 hours that I don't actually know. But this will be the first person whose interview is posted. So this has been a really fun shift for me in getting to know all the different amazing veterans um, as we keep going through this and bringing everybody's stories to light. So today I want to welcome Katie Schmid to the show. Welcome, Katie. Thanks for having me. Um, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) and katie's got a story to tell around currently suing the trump at all administration so katie do you want to go ahead and introduce yourself talk about who you are what's important to you what matters and what is going on with this lawsuit okay um well i'm Katie Schmidt. Uh, I am a staff sergeant, active duty uh, in the Army. And as you said, um, if let me let me explain it this way. Um, A lot of times when it being 2018, uh, when you get a new soldier into the unit, the first thing you're going to do is Google them. Uh, You know, see. Oh, yeah. See what's what's up with. did you know, their social media presence and stuff. And yes, they did. <laughs> and the, if you were to Google my name, uh, what you would see is an article uh, from Seattle Met. That's the first thing that pops up that says, meet the transgender soldier that's suing the president. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's uh, that's where I'm at. <laughs> um, I just arrived to my new unit here in Korea. Um couple of weeks ago. And so I'm getting settled here, but that's my story. I have been in the army for coming on 14 years now. Um, and in 2014, uh, after I had, uh, after a deployment to Iraq, um, after speaking with behavioral health, uh, and having a bit of a breakdown, I um, was diagnosed with gender dysphoria. And at the time, of course, it was still, you know, against the rules. It was against the standards of medical readiness. And so I drafted a memo um, that said, I know that this diagnosis can be career ending. Uh, please take a look at my record, take a look at my, um, performance and don't kick me out. (laughs) And they, um, at the time, since everything was still really up in the air, uh, it was going to be a full year until they actually, uh, put out the message that says just a diagnosis isn't enough to end somebody's career, Mm -hmm. but they kept me in. Uh, they allowed me to, the, the command decided that they could use their prerogative and not initiate the paperwork. Yeah. Uh, I was flagged at the time uh, medically, but so I couldn't get um, 
I couldn't get promoted uh, while they were still figuring everything out, but they did decide to retain me. And then in 2016, they changed the policy that allowed everybody to um, serve openly. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's where I thought the story would end, honestly. And you started <sighs> transitioning at that time? I, um, when I wrote that memo, I included in it that I wouldn't take any steps towards transitioning um, unless and until it was authorized to do okay. so. Yeah. Um, wow. And so I, when I was off duty, um, I was just living, you know, authentically, I was presenting female and, uh, everything. But during that whole process, um, I was able to, because I was continuing to see behavioral health, because I was continuing to see doctors, um, through the military and referred, referred by the military off post, uh, I got a prescription for hormone therapy, which mm-hmm. the military filled. Um, and this was September, 2014. So I was able to, I was able to start hormones, um, in September, 2014. Uh, I was able to, um, after keeping it quiet for basically as much as I could, uh, or as much as was safe, uh, to do. There was a point at which I was living, I was living full time and it was becoming more dangerous for me to be outed when I showed my ID. Okay. Your military and, ID. Uh, well, and my driver's license. Oh, and so at that license. point, yeah. So at that point I got my name legally changed, um, which caused a huge problem with my chain of command because they, uh, there were some members of my chain of command who were not pleased with my decision to legally change my name to something that was overtly feminine, like Catherine. Right. Oh my gosh. You're right. Um, because it doesn't like, you can change your name anytime you want. Mm-hmm. So you could change yeah. your name with, I had not thought about that at all. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you can change your name regardless. It's just a, a matter of going to the courthouse and getting it done. Yeah. Um, and I had met all the requirements for me to change my gender marker on my, on my civilian driver's license. Yeah. Uh, so I did that as well. And they were, um, they were not pleased with that. Uh, I got called into a meeting with the, uh, at the time I was working in a joint environment. So the, um, officer in charge and the senior enlisted advisor were all, were both Navy personnel you know, mm-hmm. leading my shop. Um, and they called me into the, the commander's office, Navy commander. So, Oh, five. Oh, five. Yeah. Oh, five. Yep. yeah. I know we're a little confusing. <laughs> and, uh, I was in there for like five hours and Why? they told me because they were, they were basically telling me that I was an embarrassment to the service, that I had uh, disrupted the entire shop's operations, that I had uh, not behaved in a manner 
uh, appropriate for a non-commissioned officer. And they had this whole laundry list of accusations against me. They told me like, um, they wanted to see if my nails were painted, which they weren't, but they still like, they still accused me of it. (laughs) I'm like, there's, they're, they're a little bit shiny, but they're not, there's look at them, right. You can look at them right here. They're not. And I still like. In keeping with military regulations, right? Exactly. Uh, my haircut was in keeping with regs, but they, it didn't matter. Um, and so basically there, there, there are accusations were that I was behave. They couldn't find any specific thing that I had done wrong, but that I was behaving in a manner inconsistent with professionalism and stuff like that. And, um, Oh gosh, I'm luckily, so sorry. Luckily, uh, I made it through that. Um, yeah. Were they just trying they, to like wear you out with the time? And I think so. Uh, yeah. They at the end of the day, um, they still couldn't find anything that I'd actually done wrong, uh, mm-hmm. and none of the things they accused me of stuck. So they put it on paper, they put it in a counseling statement and, um, I wrote a rebuttal and it went to, it went to Jag and then it died, uh, because, because Jag told them to leave me alone basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, but at that duty station, there was the understanding was, okay, we're letting you stay in, but keep your nose clean. And we're not really, and not everybody's happy about the fact that the commander has made this decision. Yeah. And so I was under this microscope. Um, But then, as we all do, I PCSed out. And that was uh, February 2016. Okay. PCSed out, went to Washington State. And at that unit, um, by that time, everybody could see the writing on the wall. They knew the policy was going to change. Yeah. Soon. So when I arrived at that unit, the commander pulled me into his office um, and said, okay, what we all want here is for things not to be disrupted. We don't want, you don't want to be a disruption. We don't want you to be a disruption. So it's going to be a lot less disruptive if there's, if you show up to the unit and it's just, here's a new female NCO. Mm-hmm. Uh, then if you show up and everybody's like, here's this NCO that, uh, looks female, but you're everybody refer to this new NCO as a male until such time as some bureaucratic thing gets decided and then we'll switch. Yeah. So I was still under the male PT standards. Uh, and, um, I was in that gray zone where your hair is in the, in the standards for male, but it also looks like it could be a um, really short female. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I was in that little, that little overlap in the Venn diagram between the male standards and the female standards, as far as grooming <laughs> is concerned. And whenever there was a, like a uniform, um, like a dress uniform thing, they would exempt me from that, uh, because okay. we were in a unit where it didn't really come up that much, you okay. know? So they're like, oh, by the way, Sergeant Schmidt, uh, you know, we're doing this. Watch. 
Yeah, exactly. So we're doing this formation. Sergeant Schmidt, why don't you take CQ that day? Yeah. You know, this sounds sort of like thing. a really supportive chain of command. It really was. Uh, it was an incredible unit. Um, I was in, I ended up working in brigade staff at the time. So just writing or writing operations orders and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was an incredibly, it was night and day, the difference between the two. Um, and so then the policy changed uh, in at the end of June 2016. And looking back on it now, uh, it feels basically, I looking back at like the things I posted uh, two and a half years ago on Facebook, celebrating the decision and everything, I sort of feel the same way that I do looking at pictures of uh, George W. Bush standing on a aircraft carrier with the mission accomplished banner behind it like that's lies <laughs> that's uh the the fight was definitely not over um yeah. because almost immediately even before this whole thing happened last year um the policy had changed but nobody knew um, quite what to do with us because yeah, we the could culture stay hadn't in. changed exactly. Um, we could stay in, but they weren't sure what medical care we were actually authorized to receive based on what Tricare offered. Right. They weren't sure about like because those who us those of us who were in could stay in. We could change our gender markers, but we um trans people still couldn't join the military at the time. They called it the accessions policy had not changed. And that was supposed to change. um, uh, It was supposed to be six months later that would, uh, the accessions policy would be opened up. However, that was delayed. Um, So we, you know, November, 2016 happened. The uh, policy to let new um, accessions, transgender accessions happen, uh, was delayed another, um, six months mm-hmm. Now, during that time, because my gender marker had, had gotten changed in the first group of them that, um, got done there, uh, in 2016, that, that flag was finally lifted off my record, which meant that I could, um, I could do what I was trying to do at the time and drop a warrant packet uh, to become a warrant officer. Yeah. So I had put together, I had been putting together this packet. um, When I submitted it, um, it went up and then they came back and told me because you're transgender and because the accessions policy has not been written yet, you cannot, because getting a new commission counts as an accession. So you are not eligible to, to become a warrant officer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they didn't send my packet up. It just sat there at the human resources uh, command. Um, and then... Uh, so this is now and early then, 2017, right? This is mid 2017. Okay. 
And then July 2017, those tweets came down. Ugh. Wow. And it was, it was out of the blue. It was absolutely just out of the blue. Right. Um, I had been expected, we had been expecting that there would be a new accessions policy at any time because that six month window had, um, had been getting ready to close. Uh And so I was fine with that. Um, Okay. Let my packet, here's my packet. It'll be ready when the new accessions policy comes out. Cool. I can. Um, but then those tweets came down and everything stopped. Nobody knew what was going on. Mm -hmm. Um, now me being on the West coast, I, I saw, um, I have an alert set up on my phone to notify me when, um, news comes out about transgender military stuff. Okay. So you were probably woken Uh, up by those alerts then. Well, it was, um, it was just about six 15 in the morning on a Wednesday. So it was, um, I was getting ready for PT. I was Uh, already at work. Um, it was about 15 minutes before the flag would go up. And so literally I read, I read those things and then I went and stood in formation and saluted the flag. And then I told you thinking, I, at the time I was thinking like I was an idiot for thinking that this was going to be over. Yeah. Um, but I told my platoon sergeant like, okay, something just happened. I showed him the, the, the tweets and everything. And, uh, he's like, okay, do you need anything? I said, um, I'm just going to go run. Um, I'll be in, uh, if it's all right with you, I know it's a run day anyways, just let me go off on my own. Um, and he said, all right, be safe, you know? And I just, I kind of zenned out, um, a bit and went for, went and ran four or five miles. That's a lot. <laughs> I I like running. Uh, okay. The, I got the I got the bug. I didn't used to, but now I do. It kind of grows on you. It does. Uh, and so I I dealt with it. Um, I got yeah. I put myself in that headspace uh, for the rest of the day where I I have a job to do. Uh, let's let's just deal with that and then. When I got home, that's when I kind of, that's when I allowed myself to break down a bit. Um, I have a really good support group. Uh, there's an organization called Sparta. Yeah, I'm familiar um, with them. Yeah, uh, who are, I'm actually the Army Element Lead for them. Okay. Um, so we just passed 800 members. Um, nice. But- it's uh, currently serving transgender service members across all four services and uniform members of the ocean uh, of NOAA <coughs> and uh, National Oceanographic something, and Aerospace something. Administration. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. 
and then the there's uni because there's uniform members of them and of Department of Health, I think. Yeah. Um, who are like also that. they're not military members, uh, but they are uniform services. Yep. Because if you're going to tell somebody to fly into a hurricane, it's easier if they're wearing a uniform than not. <laughs> they can't. They can't uh, deny the order. <laughs> so um, that's a good reason for it. Yeah. Yeah. So we have we have members in all all six of those services. Although I don't think we have a DHS member. Okay. Uh, but anyways. Um, so yeah, but, uh, but eight hundred is only like a fraction of how many transgender active duty service members there are. Correct? Yeah, uh, the most conservative estimates put it around twenty five hundred. Um, okay. The highest number I've seen people cite is fifteen thousand. Okay. Um, I tend to put my personal estimate somewhere around six to seven thousand. Just because um, twenty five hundred is just based on how many people actually have identified. I identified, and fifteen thousand is based on some statistics that they put together um, in a Palm Center report. Yeah. That was the upper bound of the uh, what could be statistically predicted. Okay, and so without. Uh, you know, I don't want to get too too excited about the fifteen thousand number, but it's it's a I'd say six thousand is a safer estimate. Yeah. Um. Either way, so we have this community uh, that really has come together first as this advocacy group to after Don't Ask Don't Tell was repealed. Um. They. They formed uh, out of OutServe and SLDN um, mm -hmm. to as the the group of people who are gonna okay we're now we're refocusing on this fight and it was just a sub a subgroup of OutServe um, that decided they were gonna focus on the trans fight and yeah uh, now that that's now that that's established. Um, the community that's formed there uh, has been absolutely, it's, it's my church, basically. <laughs> uh, that, that's where I go for my social fulfillment. Uh, yeah. Affirmation, rejuvenation. Exactly. Life purpose. Um, yeah. It's, uh, it's an incredible group of people. And, um, they really got me through some of those really hard times, uh, including right after when the tweets came out. Mm -hmm. So then I went uh, over the next couple of weeks, I went and uh, was working with the, the team of doctors that was working um, that was the transgender care team at the military hospital there in Washington, Okay, working with the, um, legal assistance officers. Okay. Is this policy now or no? Um, trying to get answers for people who were looking to me as the army element lead in Sparta, like, okay, what are we, what does this mean for us? Yeah. Um, and at the time it was ultimately tweets aren't policy. They may show what is 
going to be policy, right. but nothing has actually changed. Um, and that was the word from, from the, the legal representatives. Uh, it wasn't long until, um, it wasn't long before something actually did get put on paper though. Right. And it was at that time that, uh, people started talking about a lawsuit. Um, and that's, that's when I started talking to Lambda. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't quite expect there, there was a little bit of bad blood uh, that got left over after don't ask, don't tell happened. Um, Why was at, that? after the repeal happened because there were a lot of trans people that felt like we got thrown under the bus. Mm-hmm. Um, like, don't ask, don't tell was repealed. And a lot of us felt like some organizations like human rights campaign, like outserve um, just sort of went, okay, um, cool. We're done. Uh, We're going to focus on marriage equality now. And, and trans people were like, well, you told us that you would help us with our fight. uh, Once don't ask, don't tell was repealed. Mm -hmm. And, we felt like we had been left behind. And some of that bad blood still remained at the time, um, even up until 2016, 2017. And it wasn't until until the tweets came out and the new policy got dropped that it seemed like those organizations really showed, um, no, we are still fighting for you. Mm. We, are still, we are still on your side. That's got to feel a little weird to process. Yeah. Uh, it was, oh, wait, um, they really, they, we really do have more allies than we thought we did. Yeah. Um, and without, without those organizations um, standing up and being like, no, this isn't, this isn't cool. Uh, I don't, I don't know if we, yeah, the, the policy would have been put in place and we, I would be out of a job right now more than likely. Um, So the policy came out. um, We dropped the lawsuit. And or we we put up the lawsuit and what made you decide to sign your name onto the lawsuit as a plaintiff? I think I feel like I'm one of the few who can. Um, it's one of those things where I feel like somebody somebody should. OK, and I can. So I should. That's that's kind of how I felt about it. Okay. Um, you felt you had enough support or yeah, I enough had, of the just I don't know. I, just an, I'm trying to think of the right words. Just like enough of the I can handle the pressure that's going to come with this. Even if I didn't really have an idea of what the 
personal, like emotional cost would be. I felt like I was in a good place emotionally. I was in a good place socially. Okay. Um, That's awesome. I was in a good place um, professionally and uh, to where I thought I could do more good than harm by being the one who puts my name on it because somebody had to. Yeah. Um, and if somebody, if somebody had to, I might as well. That's kind of, it's, it was almost like, it felt like it was a duty. Um, because not that I'm, I kind of get lumped into the whole hashtag resistance thing. Uh, <laughs> and there's been a couple times when I, um, like reporters have asked me, like, do you, uh, they're, they're doing a story on, you know, things people are doing to fight against this administration and they want to, they want to see what I have to say about it. And I've told them like, don't, I'm not part of that because I'm an active duty member of the military. Yeah. Like, that's not, that's not something I can or would do. Yeah. That's it's, it's completely inappropriate uh, for me to do that. The way, the way I see it is I serve the American people. Um, it's part of the soldier's creed. I serve the people of the United States. Mm-hmm. So, and the president does too. Um, he was elected uh, by the process that we have in place to elect presidents. And yeah. So he serves the people of the United States as well under the constitution that I swore to defend. So I don't have to convince him. It's not about him and it's not about me. It's about people of the United States and what they think um, and about what the constitution says is legal and not legal. Right. So that's where the fight is. It's not me against Trump because he's the commander in chief. You know, yeah. um, so that's where I, that's where how I feel about that. I I'm not I'm not a I'm not trying to resist um, anything other than what I feel to be an unlawful order. I don't think that the order to ban transgender people from the military is a lawful one. And that's what the courts are going to decide. When and if. Oh, go ahead. Uh, and that would be, I would have the same response if it was any member of the chain of command from my first level supervisor all the way up to the commander in chief. If they, if they give an order that I felt was unlawful, then I would be going to the legal experts to find out like, Mm -hmm. is that, is that really right? Am I understanding this order correctly? Am I understanding the law correctly? Right. So that's that's what I'm doing. When do you expect to hear an update on your case, or when is your case going to be um, in court? Um, it's scheduled for April. Uh, they're still doing going through the process. Nothing's nothing's fast. Mm-hmm. Um, because even after the decision, whatever decision is made in April, if it, if indeed it's not delayed, the case will probably be appealed 
Um, and it's, it's probably not going to be over for years. Um, but right now I'm in until 2025. So Ooh. I've got the time. That's retirement age for you, right? It's, that's 20 years. Is uh, February 28th, 2025. I've got a little countdown on my phone here that says I have <laughs> 2,281 days until retirement. <laughs> oh, wow. What makes you want to stay? I... Well, I could say it, I could say it in a positive way or I could say it in a more cynical way. The positive way is I, I love this job. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, I love working with, I, I love working with soldiers. I love talking to soldiers. Um, I, I have fun doing my job every day, even, even the, the crappy stuff, like even hacking my lungs out. Cause I'm trying to run, uh, I'm trying to run three or four miles while breathing the air in Seoul, Korea uh, um, and coughing, coughing out a lung because the air quality is so low. I still, at the end of the day, I love this job. Um, and if I were to be completely honest about it, I, I'm no good on my own. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what I would do on the outside. Like, yeah. It's a lot of us in it. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I love soldiering. And even if I were to get out and still stay in government, I, I would still be serving. Yeah. Somehow. Um, I'd like to, I'd like to, when I get out, um, go into nonprofit work and doing, doing LGBT, um, nonprofit work in some form or fashion. I'm working on my degree in poli sci with the focus on public policy. Um, Because when I finish armying, I still want to, I still want to serve somehow. But right now at the end of the day, I love being in the army. I, um, all those those creeds and those little things they make you memorize and stuff like that. I'm I'm a sucker for it. <laughs> and what about your cynical answer? Uh, that was the the cynical answer. Yeah, I'm 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 really no good on my own. Like, oh, that was the cynical answer. Yeah. Okay. Um, I I tried. I went to college before I before I joined and flunked out. I had a dead end job yeah, doing but- like small appliance repair, uh, you know, it's like I, and I found a, I found a home in the army and I, yeah. even at the end, even when I'm reading a news article that says, um, such and such high ranking person thinks that transgender people are detriment to the military. Um, I don't, I don't agree, obviously, uh, but it doesn't it doesn't make me not want to stay in. It almost spitefully makes me want to prove them wrong. Stick around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have no expectations that you will answer this. Um, So I work in higher education and I do a military cultural competency training 
And as part of the training, I do a bunch of um, demographics of the military, which challenges a lot of myths and facts about the military as well. And so one of those things that we include in there is that the transgender population is twice as likely to have served as the cisgendered population in the American public. Um, And, you know, oftentimes I get the question of why from people and I give them a nice researcher question, you know, answer from a cisgendered woman's perspective. Um, But what would your answer be to that? I would say the military is a, um, it has a reputation of being hyper-masculine. Mm-hmm. And so both trans men and uh, both trans men and trans women who are pre-transition might be attracted to that. And I don't have any uh, like research numbers on this or anything other than just talking to people. Yeah, but that's the most hey, important part right there. But yeah, a trans woman like myself who wants to deny um, and try and um, I mean, this is this is one of the reasons I joined was because I was trying everything I could to try and be the man that I thought I needed to be. Mm -hmm. Um, And so even before the military, I had. you know, I had been doing these things to that society had presented me with that were masculine. Um, mm-hmm. I was, I had gotten married. Um, uh, I had uh, tried to go into the clergy. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> you're not the first person I've heard say that. I, or, I, uh, or um, to include very femme uh, gay men to have done yeah. that as well. Yeah, I the college I ended up flunking out of was a Bible college because I wanted to <laughs> because I thought going into the clergy would cure me of this. At the time, what I thought was this sinful desire, um, and then when that didn't work out, I thought, okay. Well, maybe the army will make a man out of me. Yeah. And then um, obviously that didn't work either. <laughs> but I could also see I could also see um, and talking to uh, the trans men who are, are friends of mine. Uh, they they had a similar thought process, but not one of denial, but of like, this is a masculine environment where I feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for somebody who is, yeah, uh, for somebody who is trying uh, to find a way to embrace masculinity, going into a hyper-masculine environment uh, is um, attractive. And so that, that would be my answer. I, that's why I think uh, trans people tend to serve in higher numbers than cis people, just because. Yeah. Um, and I would be interested now, now that I'm thinking about it, I would be interested to see if that's, if that holds true for other, um, other career fields that are seen as mm. gen hyper gendered, uh, firefighting and police and yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, or whether, uh, whether it holds true for, uh, traditionally feminine career fields like nursing, mm. um, you know, yeah. where if, if there are a higher number of queer and gender nonconforming people who seek that out because it is, uh, for the, um, reputation of it being feminine, whether or not that's actually yeah. a thing, uh, cause it's not, but right interesting i may look into some of that next week um you know because there's there's the gendered connotations of like the nursing field you know that people have always said um but i've not really looked into it or heard anything about the other fields so um interesting um what can active duty people best do to support transgender service members right now? What can the veteran population best do to support? Um, well, there's, uh, as far as like just being, um, supportive for active duty members. I mean, there's not much we can do at on the ground level. Um, yeah. Other than just normalizing it, um, making it not a big deal, because that's that's the biggest thing about it is we don't want it to be a big deal. Yeah. Um, we don't want it to be a distraction. We are there to do the job just like everybody else is. Mm-hmm. And so um, by making it not a big deal, by squashing the rumors that inevitably fly around. Yeah. Um, that's is, that's is really mi- what a. Excuse me. Is misgendering a thing for active duty transgender service members? It really depends on the the environment of the unit. Yeah. Um, I haven't I haven't faced it really badly um, since leaving that first unit I was in. Um, some people still do, uh, but though I'm seeing that less and less. Okay. Um, it's a lot of times it's more of the, like, there's the bitterness that always comes up. Like if I say what I'm really thinking, somebody might say, if I say what I'm really thinking, I'll get EO. So I'm not going to say what opportunity. I'm really thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but they're still, you can still tell that they would be misgendering you if they knew they could get away with it. Okay. You know, so that command um, environment and that like verbally supporting people is really important. Absolutely. Um, because the whole question about the whole question is about whether trans people are a hindrance or a help mm-hmm. to to the military. And that argument of unit cohesion always comes up. Yeah. Um, and unit cohesion to me is just a code word for we don't like you so much that we are going to, uh, disregard. Yes. 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 Uh, so I experienced that so much in my early days because my career field had only been men for so long or like one woman amongst maybe 50 to a hundred. Um, 
So yeah, I was like, oh, it's going to destroy our watch section if we add women to it. No, dude, the only thing that's destroying it is your fucking ego. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> the only thing that's distracting that that's distracting me from or anyone in my unit from doing their job is the fact that people won't shut up about the fact that I'm trans. <laughs> and if they just if it just isn't a big deal, then it won't be a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> and it seems so simple, uh, but because <laughs> um, at the end of the day, we don't want special accommodations. Uh, we don't want anything like that. We just want to be able to do our jobs and do them authentically. Yeah. Um, and that's that's really the key, because I still had a good record before coming out. Mm-hmm. I was just also dealing with dysphoria. Right. And while you don't need dysphoria to be trans, I know that's like a, that's a controversial statement in some circles, but I had dysphoria, which is the main reason why I transitioned because I couldn't, I, I was not living a life that was ideal. I had crippling dysphoria and I still was able to do my job. Uh, with the dysphoria, I can just do it better now that I don't have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, and I will be able to do it better when I don't have to deal with the distraction of everybody else getting up in arms about whether or not I used to, uh, present a different way or whether or not I, (laughs) I have, Because really, I mean, when I go into a combat environment, I don't put my gender on my on the outside of my uniform. I put my blood type. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Uh, Because that's what's that's really what's medically relevant. Right. So what can veterans then do to support active duty transgender members right now? I think the biggest thing in the veterans community that would help the trans community is the veterans community can be such a bro club. <sighs> yes. And I know a lot of the people who are friends of mine who are getting out, um, are finding themselves without support, without direction, um, mm-hmm. without purpose, because now that they're out of the military and they are, uh, they don't feel plugged in with the active duty trans community that we have built over the last couple of years. They also don't feel connected with the veterans community because they're trans. Yeah. Even if we do have a higher percentage, um, we do exist in higher numbers than we would in the civilian sector. Right. That's still not very many. Yeah. Um, and there are organizations like TAVA, the Transgender American Veterans Association, um, who is Sparta's sister organization. Um, In Minority Veterans of America, no? Yeah, the Minority Veterans of America. And there's also um, places like Gender Justice League and uh, things like that. But the isolation 
that a lot of these people are feeling is, uh, can be devastating. Mm-hmm. So by having, um, I think the the veteran community could help a lot by sort of easing the transition, not, not from one gender to another or from a assigned gender to their personal understanding of their gender, um, easing their transition from service member to civilian and giving them a community where they're accepted, not just, um, as a veteran, but also as a trans person and Mm -hmm. also just in their new civilian community. I think that would be the biggest thing that the veterans community could do. Yeah. Um, because isolation is to my mind, one of the biggest contributors to the suicide problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, again, working at a university, I see a lot of veterans in transition and, um, you know, it's so it's so important to stay connected to that community as somebody wants to, but to also feel fully accepted as who you are um, when you're getting out, but also who you want to be six months, 12 months, 18 months down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think with gender, definitely that is a huge thing. So, hmm. what do you... Hmm. What do you think the military will benefit from, from, you know, cross our fingers, allowing trans people to openly serve and transition while on active duty? How would that, how does that benefit the military? Yeah. Uh, well, everything in the military is a numbers game. Yeah. Um, And so being able to recruit qualified personnel from the widest, the widest base of the population Mm -hmm. uh, helps the military. Uh, That's whether you're talking about trans people or or really any, anyone who wants to serve. Right. Um, And of course we have to talk about, okay, uh, if someone is, if someone is, uh, you know, disabled physically in some way, if they are, uh, require certain medical care, uh, then it's more of that, then it's, you know, there are medical standards. Right. Um, however, specifically talking about trans people, about gender dysphoria, that itself, um, is not, is not something that should disqualify you because that itself, um, isn't associated with any sort of, um, limitation in being able to, uh, conduct your duties. Now people will argue, Oh, there's higher suicide rates. There's the requirement for hormones and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. people who have a recent history of suicide attempts can't join anyways. Right. People who have um, people who need uh, to take injectable medication can't deploy to um, 
CENTCOM. That's just a policy that's in place. And that's true regardless of... Yeah, whether that's insulin or hormones. Exactly. And so the other rules that are already in place are effective at taking care of the issues that people um, would have with trans service. Mm -hmm. So the only, the only issue then is, well, we think trans people are icky (laughs) (laughs) and that isn't a good enough reason when you were just talking about a numbers game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So when, um, and so that's, that's the, that's the reason that's going to convince, um, you know, that's the non-emotional answer I have to that. <laughs> uh, but for a, on a more personal level, like what do we bring to the table? Trans people are, you have to be a very strong individual emotionally to endure transition. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not a, it's not an easy thing. And it's not something like, oh, if you, if you aren't doing it well, you're weak. It's everybody has a hard time transitioning and you learn things about yourself. You learn things about how you, how to deal with society and how to exist in your own skin that I never would have learned uh, had I not gone through transition. Mm-hmm. And it a lot of that grit a, and resilience that psychologists talk about being exactly. needed. And that, that is something that we just as a, as a subculture have through these shared experiences of transition have developed mm-hmm. um, this incredible grit and resiliency that I don't see uh, as commonly in um, in the general population. And so that I think that's what we bring to the table. Um, and at the end of the day, you you can teach pretty much any skill uh, yeah. in the army. You can't teach determination. It's just very true. You have to develop it. Um, that's what that's that's what I would say. Uh, what we bring to the table. Okay. Well, Katie, we've been talking about an hour. Um, before we end here, I want to say you've got some killer bangs. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now that we've talked and I've looked at both the video and your photo for an hour, I'm like, damn, I want those. Um, what do you want to leave people with today? Uh, well, first, thank you for having me. Um, yeah. It's a pleasure to talk to you and finally, like, actually meet you since I've been listening to your voice for several hours over the last. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited to hear that. Uh, I get so excited I, I anybody, anytime somebody tells me they're listening. Yeah. Uh, I, I heard your show from, I think uh, Nate was talking, uh, Nate plugged it on his podcast. Yep. Um, and I immediately jumped on yeah. and yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't have a good closing quote or anything. 
<laughs> okay. Uh, well, we will probably check back with Katie next April or May sometime and see, you know, update on what happened with the lawsuit and where it's at and just kind of how you're feeling about whatever the outcome is at the time. Awesome. All right. Thank I you will- so much again for your time. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye-bye.